We are here in our last week of our Hearing God Speak series. And uh, just for a little review, the first week we opened up hearing about uh, the Bible. And to get there, we needed Owen Wilson from Shanghai Nights, if you remember, where he said, uh, God, let me know you're there. Love me, hate me, let, you, let me know you're there. So I hope you've all seen Shanghai Nights since I suggested that to you. Uh, We heard that God speaks through his word, that he has moved on his people. He has acted in his people's lives throughout history and moved on them to write it down and record it so that we might know God's history, his history of saving his people, his redemptive history. And then last week, uh, we needed Coldplay's help, and we got into the hearing God speak through others. Right? So hearing the message, remember Coldplay has that song, a message. My song is love, love to the loveless shown. Um, it's, you don't have to be alone. That's the song. Coldplay took an old hymn and made it cool, and so there we go. And, and um, we hear that God wants us to know his love. He wants us to hear his message. You're the target that I'm aiming at, is how Chris Martin sang it, and that's exactly how the Lord... Uh, looks at us. He's going to get that message home. And so we heard that he does that through other people, right? We don't live in isolation. We live amongst others. We were built for relationship. And one of the ways that God speaks into our lives is through others. This week, uh, we are going to hear about God speaking to us through his Holy Spirit, which uh, is an interesting thing to say, because in all honesty, that's always how he's speaking to us. Uh, he speaks to us through the Bible, through his spirit. He speaks to us through others, through his spirit. And, um, but we want to talk about how he speaks to us uh, in a personal way today. How he wants to get through to us. And how he might speak to you in your own private time. And in all honesty, uh, most of the time when we're really desperate that's when we're really listening. So we're going to hear about that today. Okay, We're going to hear about being desperate and hearing God in that context. Uh, And we know that God speaks to us. We just heard Jesus say it. Um, We know that he speaks to us through his spirit in, in an internal way, through that kind of inner discernment, that very personal voice that he speaks to us with. Uh, We know this because of what Jesus said in John 14 today. He tells his disciples that he is going to ask the Father to send them the Helper, the capital H, Helper, the Spirit of Truth. He's saying this to reassure them because he knows he's going away. And that's freaking them out. He knows this. They're scared. Their teacher is going to go. He knows that he's going to die and rise again and not stay. And he needs to do that so that God can send the Spirit. And what he says to them is incredible. He says that the Spirit will dwell with you, and the Spirit will be in you. That's the awesome news about what Jesus has done for us. That when we believe in him as our Lord and Savior, because of his death and resurrection for our sins, because of him coming to save us, Uh, and to call us to be his own children. The amazing truth is now God's dwelling place is with us. He lives with us, and he lives in us, in his Holy Spirit. 
If you remember on Good Friday, uh, Good Friday every year, we hear about the passion narrative and we hear about the curtain being torn from top to bottom. This was a very thick curtain. It was like four inches thick, they think, and it was ripped from top to bottom. No human could ever tear a curtain like that. And it was torn from top to bottom. And the symbolism there is of this, what Jesus is saying right here. The symbolism is that the separation between us and God is now torn down. The barrier that we put up, because that's how it happened. Go back and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. The barrier that we put up by our sin, by rejecting him and saying we want to be our own gods. Thank you very much. We want to be the masters of our own domain. If you remember Seinfeld, um, you know, we want to control our own destiny. Uh, that set up a barrier. We separated ourselves from him. And so in worship throughout the Old Testament, you see this division. It's symbolized in the prohibitions where people were not allowed to come into the presence of God except for certain specific times. And what we see on Good Friday is that the curtain is torn. Jesus breaches the division through his sacrifice for us. And so he's brought us back into the presence of God. He brings us back to where we belong. And like with everything else with Jesus, it's not just a simple returning to what we had. You know, I don't know if you guys get nostalgic about anything. Um, I have this little treasure chest where I've, I I haven't looked in it for years, but then the other day Kate wanted to use it for an illustration for teaching the kids something at the family service, so she took all this stuff out of it. And all the stuff that was in there was all these notes and cards and all the stuff that she had sent, given me over the years. We dated, we've been together since uh, she was 16 and, I was se- and I'm 17. I was 17. And so we have a long history. And I was looking at all these letters and things that I've kept, all these mementos. Anyway, nostalgia. You know, oftentimes we think, oh, the good old days. You know, remember, remember what it was like back before the internet. You know, or remember what it was like back before... TV, whatever. You know, we have this kind of golden era that people think about, that those were the good old days, you know, except for when you get to, like, you know, life expectancy was about 40, and um, everybody died of disease. Anyway, the good old days. We, uh, we have this idea of nostalgia, and so we always think that we want to return somewhere. But the thing with Jesus is that he actually restores what was lost, but he goes way further. Right? He doesn't just take us back to the garden where we're hanging out with God like Adam and Eve did. He goes further than that. His death and resurrection takes us to new territory. Right? We're not just allowed to be in God's presence again like they were allowed to be in the garden where they walked in the cool of the day with the Lord, it says. That was really great. But now, because of Jesus, God actually lives in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. He has made his dwelling place in you. He lives in his people by the power of his Spirit. That's way better. If you think about the garden uh, and you think about most of the Old Testament, there was still all this opportunity for separation from God, right? You can see that when Adam and Eve sinned, right? The, The way that Moses wrote it, Uh, was that they were off doing their own thing, eating the fruit, and then God comes looking for them. So it's this idea that they were not necessarily always right there in his presence. They were in his protection and in the space he had created for them, 
but they were not always sitting there in his presence, if that makes sense to you. And the same thing was true of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. Um, In order for them to be with God, he wanted to be with them, but he had to live in the tabernacle or in the temple. His presence was located somewhere, and it was because our own protection. It was for our own protection. Because the holiness of God cannot be in the presence of sin. So he wanted to be with his people, but he needed to be someplace specific because if he really let us walk right into his presence, we'd be torched. Okay, so that's the way, that's why it was like that. Um, But it's still a display of his desire to be with us, but it was always begging. That's the thing about the Old Testament. When you read it, the Old Testament is always begging for an answer. It's always begging for something more. It's looking for fulfillment. It's looking for uh, an answer to the problem of our sin. And with Jesus, we have it. The curtain is torn in the temple. So now we are able to be in his presence always to the point where there's no separation ever. He is in us. So just take a minute and let that sink in. All right, when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. He makes his home in you. And so what does that mean? This means that even when you feel far off from God, you are not. This means that he is right there with you. This means even when you feel like you've been abandoned or orphaned, which maybe you have that feeling sometimes, it means that you're not abandoned. He is still with you. Even when you feel like you're lost, you're not. He is right there with you. Even when you sin and you try to turn away and run back to your old, the old lies you know, of kind of self-sufficiency or run back to the old lies of the enemy, Jesus does not leave you. He does not leave you. He is with you always, right there with you. Even when you think he's not listening or he doesn't understand what you're going through, your pain and your struggles, it's not true. He has made his home in you. The curtain has been torn, and Jesus promises to his disciples and to us that he will never leave them again. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the helper so that he will live with you. I list all these different kinds of examples as I, because of what I said at the beginning. These examples of when we may doubt God's presence because if we're honest, it's when things are the bleakest. Uh, when we, it's when we feel alone that it matters most to hear God speak. It's when things are not going well when you're really desperate to know he's with you, right? And it's often when we feel like he's farthest away. Well, I want to consider our Old Testament passage today, 1 Kings 19. And this is, again, remember, the Old Testament is always waiting for an answer. And we've just heard of the answer through Jesus. But we're going to look at how God deals with Elijah here. Uh, And Elijah was one of the, like, the prophet, okay, the most famous prophet. And um, when they say that in the New Testament, you hear them say, the prophet. They're referring to Elijah. And Elijah uh, was sent by God to the Israelites in the northern kingdom. So this is after Israel split into two after the reign of Solomon. 
And so there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And he, God sent prophets to both. And Elijah went to the northern kingdom during the reign of this guy named King Ahab. Yes, if you've ever read Moby Dick, you know he's named after King Ahab. And um, he had some very famous run-ins, Elijah, with the prophets of Baal. And Baal was a false god, a god that the nations around Israel worshipped. It was um, a pagan god. And there were all these prophets, that, about 450 of them, uh, that Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, had brought in to Israel. And she wanted to lead Israel away from worshipping uh, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to worshipping Baal. And so she brought all these prophets in and was leading them away from the commandments. And God sent Elijah to call his people back. And one of the most dramatic moments was when Elijah set up a cage match. I don't know if you remember this story, but he sets up a cage match between Baal and God. And it's the part where he has the two altars, and he tells the prophets of Baal to dance, do whatever they need to do to try to get their God, Baal, to bring fire down on their altar. And he says, I'll do the same thing with my God. And you have 450 of you, and it's just going to be me. And they try all day long to the point where they're even cutting themselves. They're exhausted. And the whole time Elijah's mocking them and saying, maybe he's in the toilet. It's literally, he literally says that in the Bible. So you should go read it. 1 Corinthians 18. This is right before this passage. And then Elijah, they don't, nothing happens, obviously, with Baal. And Elijah pours tons and tons of water all over his altar to stack the cards, stack the odds against God. And he says a simple prayer and asks the Lord to reveal himself. And fire comes down and consumes the whole thing. So that was his cage match. This is what Elijah is coming off of when we get to our passage today. The result of that is that Jezebel hears about what happened and she gets ticked. She's got all the real power. Ahab is, you know, a puppet. You know, he does whatever his wife says. And Jezebel sends uh, people to hunt Elijah and kill him. And he gets to the point uh, where he is exhausted. Elijah. He's running for his life, and he wants to give up. Right before we come to our passage, he wants to give up because it seems like no matter what he does, he just had this incredible display of God's power, where he was this messenger for the true God, and the people turn, but still Jezebel comes and hunts him. He's still being hunted. He's still feeling really terrible. His ministry is not going the way he wants it to go. You know, even after all the success He is still alone, and he wants to give up and die. That's what he says. Well, a wise person once said to me that God's office is at the end of your rope. God's office is at the end of your rope, and Elijah is there. He's at the end of his rope. And we see God ask him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And then we hear Elijah kind of go into his list, you know? If you have kids, you know what that's like. And if you remember being a kid, you know what it's like. You know, like, oh, well, I, I was at school, and they didn't have chicken nuggets. And then Susie, you know, she was being mean, and she was hanging out with Libby, and Libby didn't defend me, and, you know, whatever it is. This is what we do. And this is Elijah right here. I've been all about you, God. I'm really down because the people of Israel have rejected you. They've killed all your prophets. It's awful. I'm the only one left. I'm all alone, and they want to kill me. You can kind of hear the whiny voice. He was complaining to God. And so God tells Elijah to go out of the cave that he's hiding in and stand on the mount and then he's going to pass by. God himself is going to pass by. 
And right after he says, right after he does that, we hear all this incredible calamity happen. We hear this powerful wind comes through and creates avalanches and breaks rocks. There's this earthquake that shakes the ground beneath Elijah's feet. And then the raging fire rips through the area where he is. And all of it happens in succession. I mean, can you imagine seeing that? You know, all of our worst natural disasters right now. And the funny thing is, is that the writer of 1 Kings says the Lord was not in all of those things. All of those huge displays of power, he wasn't there. And I think that's quite strange. Because it's clear that God is causing them. He said, I'm going to pass by. And then it sets off all of these incredible calamities. They're the result of his power. And there are many ways a repeat of the display of power that Elijah just saw you know, a few days before when the fire came down on the altar. And yet, the Lord wasn't in them. It's because the author is saying that Elijah found no comfort in them. Elijah found no comfort in them. That really wasn't the point. God was not trying to show Elijah comfort in this moment. Okay? Instead, he's actually shaking him back to reality. He's shaking him back to reality. Elijah wants to give up. He thinks he's all alone. He's lost hope. And yet, God has been with him the entire time. He's having a conversation with God, right? God is the one who uh, defeated the prophets of Baal. God is the one who saved him from Jezebel's reach. He's the one that gave him the food that we read about right at the beginning of our passage, sustained him while he was on the run, and now God in his mercy decides to show himself to Elijah. And it's in this relentless display that God is shaking Elijah out of his despair and depression. When you get overwhelmed, when you get depressed, um, you know, about situations in your life. I wonder if you ever find yourself believing lies. Do you ever find yourself starting to buy into uh, the negative thoughts? You know, thinking that nobody understands how bad this is. Nobody else has had to go through this. Nobody's ever suffered like me. I wonder if you have those isolating thoughts, because that's what they are. They're lies that drive us to isolation. It's the lies of the enemy and our sin. It's saying, you're right, you're alone. You've got no hope. I wonder if you've ever found yourself believing those lies. Well, Elijah certainly did in this moment. And God comes at him and undoes the lies. He reminds Elijah that he is in the presence of an almighty God, the almighty God. And that Elijah is right where he wants him to be. It's only after this big display that humbles Elijah. It's only after that that God begins to speak to him in that personal way. In that that low whisper as the writer says it. It's that quiet, still moment that follows all of the chaos. It's in that moment that that Elijah recognizes the voice of the Lord and is comforted to the point where he responds. That's what many 
smarter Christians than me have written about over the years and have said that that's the wrapping of the cloak around his head. And it says he wrapped his cloak around his head and he goes out, to the, out of the cave. It symbolizes that Elijah has been humbled and is ready to go with the Lord again. And then, God in his mercy opens Elijah's eyes to the truth. Okay? He lets Elijah say it one more time. He asks him, what are you doing here? And Elijah, I think in a more, if you can think of the tone change, it was less of like, uh, uh, and more kind of like, this is where I am. And I'm desperate for you. And he repeats his saying, I feel all alone. And then God says right then, I'm going to send you back. You're going to go back and you're going to anoint these kings because I am not done. That's what he's saying. You want to give up, I know, and these people are terrible and this is what we would all do, okay? This is the good news about God being God and us not being God because we would all give up on each other like that. I mean, if you've got a family, it's Thanksgiving's this week, guys. You know, like, you know what it's like. You're going to see people that are like, oh, it's so great to see you. And then an hour later, you're like, oh, you're pulling somebody's side. You know, she's just, just like when I was 10 and she took my big wheel. You know, it's like all of that. That's going to be happening. We would turn on each other so fast and we would give up like Elijah. And we would say, they are being mean to me. I don't like them. I'm done. And the tone changes because God has shown him, you are not alone. I've called you. And he's saying, I'm not giving up on my people yet. Remember, the Old Testament is always begging for that answer. Where, this, where there will be an actual answer to our sin and our problem. And we hear God then tell Elijah, you're going to go and you're going to anoint these kings and you won't be alone. I'm going to give you Elisha. He's going to be your protege, your student. I'm going to give you somebody to partner with you in this. And then you're going to hand things off to him. He shows him, you're not alone. I'm not leaving you alone and I'm not leaving my people alone. And he even says at the end, when Elijah thinks nobody's turned to you in his despair, believing those lies, He says, nobody's doing it. And then God shows him. He says, there are actually 7,000 in Israel that have not bowed the knee to Baal that I will keep for myself. 7,000. It shows how when we get into that despair cycle, we we can't see the truth. And God is showing Elijah what the truth is, that he is the Lord, that he has not given up because he will save his people. When we doubt God's presence, when things are the bleakest, when we feel alone, that's when it matters most to us to hear God speak to us, to know that he's with us. And that's what we see here. We see God being merciful to Elijah, bringing him back to the truth. There's certainly a a waking up moment with all that power, but then there's that gentle voice that ministers to his soul and says, come on, I'm going to take you and we're going to keep going. I'm going to be the one giving you the strength. It's not up to you. It's up to me. He doesn't let the lies of despair win out in our lives. And that is good news. That is good news. So, when you find yourself at the end of your rope, when you find yourself 
losing patience this week. <laughs> maybe, maybe you'll get to the end of your rope on Thursday. Um, who knows? But uh, when you find yourself there, when you are at, in that place of despair and you are desperate to hear the Lord, I want you to remember this good news, that God does not leave you alone. He, has, he will never leave you alone because he has made his dwelling place with you. He has made his dwelling place with you. He is with you. He is as close to you as your own skin. That's his promise to you. And he will handle you the same way that he does with Elijah. He will remind you of the truth, and then he will speak to your heart to encourage you so that you can keep going. Because he's not given up on you, and he never will. And he's not given up on the people around you that might drive you nuts. And that's good news, because you can go to him and say, I can't do this. I need you to do it. I need you to help me with them. Help me to love them and to let go. Though we may feel alone, we are never alone. Paul says, I'm going to close with this. Paul says to the Ephesians, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. That helper that Jesus sent, the Spirit, is a seal on you that no one can break, and he is the guarantee that you are safe, that you are not alone, and that God is going to carry you through all the way to when he calls you back home. He is going to take you all the way through whatever it is that you're facing. He will never leave you, and he will continue to speak to you, reminding you of his goodness and reminding you of his love towards you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, that you promise not to leave us as orphans, that you will never leave us alone again. Lord, that we can't separate ourselves from you. That is such good news, that you have made your home with us. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would speak to our hearts uh, wherever we are struggling, wherever we are wanting to give up, Lord, wherever we're hurting, I pray, Lord, that you would meet us in those places, that you would speak to us in that low whisper, and you would call us back to yourself. We ask for your blessing on this week, and we pray for patience, and we pray for joy as we uh, celebrate and give thanks to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.